I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with David Whitlinger, Executive Director at the New York eHealth Collaborative, or NICE for short. NICE is overseeing the development of the Statewide Health Information Network of New York, or SHINee. David will be discussing how SHINee handles identity and access management for the healthcare providers who securely share patient information on the exchange. David will also explain how SHINee is handling access and identity management of patients who can access their own health records through a new patient portal. Now, for starters, what do you think are the biggest identity and access management challenges for most health information exchange organizations? I think there's there's two levels to this right now. There there's fragmentation with regards to the technologies behind these systems. So um, there might be identity and access management for a particular system. Maybe it's the HIE software around patient record lookup, and then there's perhaps different software and and uh, technologies around identity and access management for direct, and maybe different again for. Uh, EHRs and and those uh, different services. So there are some challenges about consolidation, how to do this in a thoughtful way such that uh, those systems converge, um, use one set of identities, use one set of access control systems and so forth. So there's there's that, and that's a a technology problem behind the scenes. I think on the flip side of that, the other level to this is what is an acceptable set of identity and and access management challenges from a user perspective that don't deter usage. So as an example, the e-commerce systems of the world, Amazons and Ebays and so forth, came to uh, roughly an acceptable uh, level of password authentication need and identity authentication need in order for somebody to be willing to submit their credit card information into an internet site. You know, how secure is that? And here's an opportunity for identity theft if it's not handled well and so forth. But if you make that too onerous, then people won't shop through those websites and so forth. I think we're now um, dealing with that same kind of um, set of challenges and and user acceptance kinds of uh, issues in this space. Obviously, there's uh, an utmost need for secure uh, for security and knowing that who you're giving access through the network uh, to is who they say they are and what access they should have, but how hard and how far do you challenge that um, before you've created too many barriers for just general doctors and clinicians and users of the system to say this is too hard, I'll get my information some other way. And what what generally comes to mind in that is is this two-factor authentication technology, which is a second activity beyond just putting in a very strong password. It's actually having a PIN code that's that's sent to you or some other mechanism that proves that you are who you say you are. And I think that's one of the, the, those are the two categories of challenges that we're grappling with. So now how does your health information exchange tackle those challenges? Well, the first one, uh, we are working at the consolidation uh, between direct uh, health information exchange or patient record lookup and in, in other general usages of HIE with, with regards to identity and access management. And that's increasingly become becoming easier for us to handle behind the scenes with standardization. So we don't have to require users of a network to have multiple identities and multiple uh, methods of authenticating themselves. 
Um, so we're working behind the scenes, and we think that actually largely um, by the middle of next year that'll that'll be cleaned up. But uh, on the other on the other side, um, I think that there is going to be some significant um, policy work that goes on within the state uh, with regards to the right balance between usability and authentication. And I think that where we might likely land is that. Within a controlled environment, that's, that that uh, a strong password might be an acceptable level of authentication. And when you're outside of a controlled environment, so you're you're no longer in your doctor's office, your hospital, or your institution that has physical controls around it, that those two factors might be necessary. And so that might be on mobile devices or laptops or things that are. Um, perhaps could fall outside of the control of, of somebody who's, who's the healthcare worker or the individual who's responsible for maintaining security of the data. That might be where we land, but that's, that's uh, I think, a, a great set of policy conversations that we'll be going through in, this, in the next six months. So now how do you credential and authenticate healthcare providers on your exchange? And for instance, are individual users at a hospital, for instance, credentialed by Shiny and provided access to the exchange? Or does Shiny leave that up to the member hospitals to decide which users should have access and how they credential these people? We do. We do trust the hospitals to to maintain the list of users who should have access and uh, and for what purposes. And so we do rely upon them to to maintain that. That might not always be the case moving forward. As, as the scale gets larger and bigger, it's not that we would take away that control, but we might create other mechanisms as well. But today, any member of the Shiny, which are healthcare provider organizations, whether those are uh, hospitals or physician practices or so forth, they they self-determine um, who from their organization um, should have access, and they also, of course, have legal uh, contract obligations that they're taking responsibility for that. So once they decide who within their community of users should have access to the health exchange, how do you authenticate those users when they try to get on the exchange? Uh, today we have two different mechanisms. We do have some institutions that are simply using a strong password. We have other institutions that have said that they would prefer to actually use two factors, and so they use a strong password and a second factor, which is largely a PIN code that's uh, sent to a, a mobile device. And so those those are the two mechanisms today. We are supporting both. As I said, I think uh, the policies today are are not as consistent, but they those will be resolved here in the next six months. Shiny is one of the few health information exchanges in the country that is offering a patient portal. How is that effort going? Well, it's going very well. Uh, the design organization, the design company, Mana Health, is really working night and day with their team of developers, and they're working hand in glove with our shiny uh, engineers as they bolted on to the application programming interface that, uh, that we've exposed to in the shiny and they're in the sandbox playing with dummy patient data and having uh, some real great effects of uh, trialing that out and testing that with quote-unquote patients uh, to see how it looks and feels. We'll really be past the holiday season here into the early part of next year really be going at earnest at our first implementations. 
Now, how will you manage patient access to data through the portal? How will those patients be credentialed and authenticated to access the portal? So we'll be using similar mechanisms as the financial industry and as I described earlier, the commercial uh, online enterprises use in order to prove somebody is who they say they are. So the a lot of these organizations use an identity proofing service that largely relies upon the credit bureaus for obscure facts about you that create a set of questions for you to determine your identity and prove that you are who you say you are. And there are, there are different uh, mechanisms for doing that. And then uh, if that identity can be established definitively through those mechanisms, then you'd be given an account. If, if they can't, then uh, it would require a face-to-face in, in encounter either with your physician or with um, a different uh, entity that could be trusted to, to issue that. Um, from there, uh, the intention is to give patients choice that if they want to sign on to the Shiny to see their records using a, a, a secure, high-security password, they can do that. If they believe that their health information needs to be held more securely and they would like two factors uh, to be in front of that, then we would give them that uh, opportunity as well so that the usability could be actually in the patient's choice uh, and, the, and the patient could make that decision. And they would largely probably make that decision based on perhaps the sensitivity of their own health information. And if the generally healthy individuals who have nothing interesting in there but, uh, but boring normal blood tests, then perhaps from a usability perspective, they don't really feel a need for a heightened sense of uh, security and, and uh, authentication uh, before they see their data. But perhaps if they're an individual who has um, health issues that unfortunately might have some social stigma around them or other issue, uh, reasons for them to feel a necessity for higher heightened security, then they would select to use both factors. Are there any particular steps that you have to take with mobile users that you wouldn't if someone was at an institution using a desktop? I think we crossed the mobile uh, frontier actually a long time ago with regards to um, accessibility. And I think, yes, we do allow for mobile access and uh, the the different portals, whether they're clinical-facing portals or patient-facing portals, will not readily discern for any purposes of security of whether or not it's a mobile device or whether it's not. I think that all of the encryption mechanisms are still there, whether the the pipes are in a a doctor's office or hospital or whether or not they're uh, coming from a mobile device. Now, as I said, I think it's likely that the policy is going to land that if you're on a device, an Internet-enabled device, and accessing the shiny um, and it's not within the four walls of a controlled institution that it's likely to use or require the two factors and so that you get that, that other sense of security that the, the person is who they say they are, even if they are not within the four walls of an institution when they're accessing the network. Looking ahead, are there any emerging access or ID management technologies or trends that you think will be important to health information exchange organizations? Well, we keep on hearing the promise of the biometric devices, whether these are fingerprint scanners, such as uh, the one recently uh, put out on the iPhones, or whether they're palm scanners, or whether they're retina scanners, um, that these devices would perhaps cross that bridge of usability, not being a, a usability barrier, but also giving firm authentication that the person is who they say they are when they choose to access services like this. And as we've seen, they they haven't really come mainstream yet, and it's really difficult to 
arrive on one of those technologies or allow for standardization along those lines without them becoming a little bit further embedded into the marketplace. And I, I think that we're, we're going to start to see that, knowing that the iPhone and now that its competitors are likely to start to follow have, have picked up a biometric and there's going to be some very large-scale implementation of this, and we'll start to see whether or not that works, succeeds, and standardization can occur, and therefore those could be adopted. So that's an interesting set of technologies that I think that we'll be tracking. Thanks, David. I've been speaking to David Whitlinger of NICE. I'm Marian Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.